0: Hi, this is Pastor Joshua Morocco, and you are listening to our King's Central Podcast. I hope you get encouraged. I hope the Word of God brings transformation to your life and empowers you. Thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the Word. Stand to your feet. Let's get into the Word today. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 14. It is absolutely incredible to me how God works. Uh, Long before... I knew where we would be in the gospel of Mark, God knew. And he chose this very passage for us in our continued study on living in the power of the Son, the study of the gospel of Mark. So we come to Mark chapter 14. It's the perfect passage for today, verses 1 through 11. Let's read the word of the Lord together. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. And while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing. Everybody say a beautiful thing. She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body before hand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It is a lamp, it is a light, and I thank you for the privilege you've given me today to break open your word to the hundreds of people that were in the first service and now in this service and those who have been watching by streaming and those in the parking lot. Lord, my cry is that all of us will hear your word and respond to it. So I pray, Holy Spirit, come come upon me so I can communicate your word. Come upon your congregation so they can receive your word and be changed by it. And Lord, we'll be sure to give you all the praise for all that happens. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever noticed that in the same family there can be those who deeply love Jesus and those who hate him? And by their actions show that they would kill him if they could. You say, wait a minute, pastor, that's a little strong. Now think about it just for a moment. They break God's law. They treat him as though he's dead. They're only concerned about themselves. They're a lot like these religious leaders who wanted to kill Jesus, the very Messiah. Because uh, they wanted their own thing. Yet there are people that deeply love the Lord. And you are a part of that company. Somebody say amen. Amen. And they're devoted to the Lord, and they show they love the Lord by what they do. You show your love for the Lord by being in church today. You show your love by being in prayer this week, by your giving, by your praising God, by your witnessing. And I want to talk today upon the subject devoted, because if there's any passage of Scripture that challenges us to be devoted, it's this one. I want you to take a look at the text and keep your Bible open because I want you to notice some things. It was two days before the Passover. And the religious leaders were conspiring to kill Jesus. But they had to get him arrested secretly knowing that if they did it publicly, the crowds would riot. You have that as a backdrop of this great festival, the Passover. Now, many of you know what the Passover is all about. It marked Israel's deliverance from Egypt, and especially marks the fact that the final plague that allowed the the Israelites to leave Egypt was a plague where the death angel flew over the nation and killed the firstborn of every family who did not have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of their house. Now, I want you to understand how great an attendance there would be at that festival every year. Josephus is a Jewish historian that wrote in the first century and they did an actual census on the number of lambs killed in 65 A.D. in Jerusalem for the Passover. You know how many it was? It was 265,000 sheep killed. Now if you know from the scriptures that one lamb was supposed to feed 10 people. Well, that gives you over two and a half million people that were actually celebrating Passover, and then you had all those who were there that weren't celebrating Passover, like Roman soldiers and others. You're having near three million people in this city. It's not a large city. I've been to Jerusalem many times. In fact, we're going again in February, and and, uh, it's a fascinating thing to have that many people crowded into one place, but that's what was happening. And you'll notice something that um, Jesus is a a short ways out of Jerusalem in a place called Bethany, Bethany. And he's at a banquet at a person's house by the name of Simon the leper. Now, his name is mentioned in Scripture. It's always interesting when you get an actual name because they're probably well known in the Christian community. And he must have been healed by Jesus for he didn't have leprosy at that time or or Jesus and his disciples would not have been able to eat in his house. So he's called Simon the leper but his very name is a testimony of God's grace. Somebody say hallelujah. Your name can be a testimony. They look at you and say, I knew him when he was a jerk. Now he's a man of God or a woman of God. Hallelujah. Mark doesn't mention the woman's name. However, this event or one like it is told in every gospel. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A woman coming and pouring ointment on Jesus. Now what is interesting in the gospel of Luke, chapter 7, uh, Luke tells of a sinful woman who poured perfume on the feet of Jesus at a Pharisee's home. And... um, This was earlier in Jesus' ministry, and she wiped his feet with her hair. Then you have the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 26, and both this text, Mark 4. If you read them both, you'll notice they're the exact same story, story written in the same way. But then there's one more incident that's mentioned in the Gospel of John, which is John 12, verses 1 through 8, and it's very fascinating because you would think Maybe this is the same incident, but it is not. And when you look at it closely, you'll notice that in that instance in John, Mary, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead, is the one who pours ointment, very costly ointment on Jesus. But she pours it on his feet and wipes his feet with her hair And it's done six days before the Passover, and it's probably done at Lazarus' home because Lazarus is mentioned there. Now, Matthew and Mark then, this story we read in Mark, are telling of a third event by an unnamed woman taking place later in the week. In fact, it's two days. Everybody say two days before the Passover. So this is just before Jesus meets with his disciples for the Passover meal. And uh, you'll note that the woman anoints Jesus with this nard, this uh, very costly nard, and but pours it over his head as though she is anointing him as king. Now keep in mind, this hasn't happened to Jesus. Jesus, at this baptism, God spoke. Uh, a, uh, the Holy Spirit came as a dove. God said, this is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. All of these great things happen. But normally a king would be anointed by a prophet, and he would be anointed with olive oil from the top of his head, and it would flow down his body. That had never happened for Christ. But here, two days before he's going to die, an unnamed woman takes costly ointment, costly oil. In fact, it probably was a family heirloom that had been passed down from generation to generation. And you've got to understand something about this thing. This ointment came from a rare plant in India. It was very, very expensive. Even the very container, it held it. She had to break it and pour it out. It was extremely expensive. It doesn't even tell you how much it was worth. Mary's ointment that she poured out was worth a year. This could have been way beyond that. And she poured it over his head. And here's what's amazing to me. Although she wouldn't have known it, she was anointing him as Messiah. And by so doing, encouraging him, to complete his task of being the suffering servant as the prophet Isaiah had prophesied 600 years before in Isaiah 53 when he said, "All oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. She's encouraging him without her even knowing it that he was to fulfill the task of the messiah as the suffering servant and willingly go and die on a cross for the sins of the world wow be the lamb of god that would break the hold of sin's bondage off of all of humanity well it's interesting to me that the woman's act was criticized harshly by some of the bank banque- at the banquet for they saw her giving as a waste of money. It's What's always fascinating to me is that we have a lot of great givers in this house and invariably one of them will come to me and say, Pastor, you got to pray for me. My accountant gets freaked out when he starts doing my taxes and he sees how much I've given. And he asks, how come you give so much to that church? They don't have a clue that nobody is saying anything in this house that you've got to do this or this or that, but out of the abundance of your heart, you want to do something for the Lord. Why? Because you're devoted. Everybody say devoted. Come on, say it with me. I'm devoted. And that's what this woman was. She was devoted, and she gave this extravagant gift. Others thought it was a waste of money. But Jesus corrected them and saw it as an act of love and true devotion. In fact, he said, this is beautiful. He uses an interesting Greek word there, kalos, which is a word for good, but it gives the insight of beautiful. This is beautiful. And it was not only beautiful and a good work. It was a prophetic act declaring that he would soon die. And what's amazing here is that Jesus then addresses those who criticized the woman's gift, that she should have given this gift to the poor, they said. Now, throughout the Scripture, we are very much aware that God has a bias to the poor. But you have to understand Jesus' deepest concern, which is fulfilled in his Father's will. That was his deepest concern. I want to do my Father's will. Anything the Father tells me, that's what I'm doing. So his deep, deepest concern, although he loved the poor, was not the poor. It was doing and fulfilling God's will. And what was God's will? It was to redeem all of mankind by his sacrificial death on a cross. That's the good news. And sometimes we have to be real careful about that. Because uh, what we notice is that uh, I question at times even these who talked about the fact that it should have been given to the poor, it was probably not that they gave to the poor. It was probably an excuse for them not sharing their love for Jesus like this woman did. And I've found so many times people who criticize you because of your giving, if you look at what they gave, they gave nothing. We can better understand what Jesus said by the contrast in the use of one word. I want you to all write this one word down. It's the word always. Everybody say always. Look at what he says in verse 7. The poor you will always have with you. And then he goes on to say, you will not always have me. And what he's saying is you can always give to the poor. That will never be a problem. There will always be poor in the world and those of you blessed should have a generous heart and we give. And I do that and you do that. But he's also suggesting that there is a special opportunity, an opportunity to bless Jesus in this way was only for this special moment for this woman. Others weren't aware of the significance of it, but Jesus was. And Jesus says that what she has done will be told wherever the gospel is preached in memory of her. I want you to think about that for just a moment. You see, there were a lot of people that thought that Jesus and the disciples believed that once Jesus died and rose from the dead, that he would immediately return as the conquering king. In fact, his disciples even asked, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom? But you'll notice very clearly that Jesus said there would be a delay in his coming. It would be opportunity for the gospel to be spoken around the world. In fact, Jesus is saying that a second coming will not take place until the gospel is preached throughout the world. Our biggest task is to get the gospel preached throughout the world, to hasten that day so that he can come. And those of you who were with me, I think it was last Sunday night when we dealt with the coming of the Lord In Mark 13, it was very clear that this gospel must be preached to the whole world and then the end would come. And that's what we're trying to do by touching our world through a little island on Maui. Somebody say hallelujah. But Jesus links this woman's actions with the gospel. I want you to notice this. For her act symbolizes the essence of God's act. Toward all humanity. Now think about it just for a moment. She gave that which was of great worth to her. Probably the most precious thing she had. Just like the Father has given to the world what was most precious to Him. His only begotten Son. And what's being said by this text is that when one hears the gospel, our response should be the same as hers. We should respond by giving our love to Jesus. Now, Mark concludes this interesting story by placing in it Judas' reaction to this woman's gift. I believe he is revealing a great, great contrast. Everybody say a contrast between the woman and Judas. Now think about it. The religious leaders promised to give Judas money to tell them where Jesus could be arrested without a public disturbance. And that reveals very clearly that a part of Judas' treachery was due to his love of money. You have to see that in the text. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Listen to me, friend. If your focus is on money, you invariably will do things that when you look back on it, you'll say, boy, I wish I hadn't done that. Because it's deceptive. You'll notice that the woman gave money as an act of devotion. She gave something precious, something worth a lot of money. Judas betrays Jesus for money. Wow, what a difference. One who is an extravagant giver and one who loves money. Well, God's speaking to us today, and there's a number of things I feel like He wants us to emphasize through this story. Let me give you a few of them. First thing I want you to realize is that our problem for all of us is that we don't see things from the perspective of worthiness. And He said, what are you talking about? Now, think about this. Jesus is worthy of all we are and all we have. And therefore, we must not become only conscious of the value of what we give. Sometimes we look at what we give and say, Whoa, look how much I'm giving. Stop it. You don't look at the value of what you give. Rather, you look at the value of who you are giving to and what you are giving to. You see, I give to the advancement of God's kingdom. That's very valuable to me and very valuable to God. I give to see God's work expand. My wife and I will sacrifice, and we've done so year after year for that cause because that's valuable. The money I give is not that valuable. It's what I give to is. Second thing we need to see is that from the world's perspective, the widows who gave... Remember, there's two women in this story. It's interesting how... I I, I didn't say this in the first service, but let me tell you. In the Gospel of Mark, you'll notice that the most devoted people in Jesus' entourage are women. All the women say hallelujah. We see of a widow woman who gave two mites in the offering, and some would say, well, that was too small, that was nothing. And then here we see a woman who gave the nard, this costly ointment, and... uh, we would say, oh, that's too extravagant. But the big key is not whether it was small or large. The big key in giving would be like, we give not to please the world and what they think, but to please the Lord. And on both occasions, you'll notice that whether it was the women woman who gave two mites in the offering that Jesus observed, he said that her gift was bigger than everyone's because she gave all she had. And this, this anonymous woman who poured ointment on his head gave an extravagant gift. Both of them were extravagant. Both were out of devotion to the Lord. Everybody say it with me. I'm devoted. Boy, it didn't sound too convincing to me. Try it one more time. One, two, three. It brings me then to the third thing, and that is this. Not only do we have a problem with the perspective of worthiness, and not only should we be conscious of, of how God views things, not the world's, but We must be sensitive to give as God calls us to. For we may not have any idea as to the significance of our gift. Just like this woman gave at a critical moment in Jesus' ministry. And she probably had no idea the significance of what she gave. But she had done something that had not been done for Jesus. She poured upon him the oil of anointing, symbolizing and declaring that he is king. I believe her gift was, a, in a moment, a great act of faith. It was a moment of tremendous encouragement. I believe it was a moment that caused Jesus himself to rejoice. And you see it in even the words he said. Listen to me. There are moments in this church where we're called on God to be extravagant givers. We do that three times a year because it's God's calendar. It's not my calendar. It's God's calendar. And in his calendar, I want to be sensitive. When he says, don't come before me empty-handed during those three festivals, we're going to do it because it's it's God's calendar. And so we take time. We don't force anybody to give a thing. I remember, you know, I've lived here on Maui for almost over 40 years now, and I've heard all kinds of stories, like somebody stands at the door and says, you can't get in unless you give $1,000. Right. Listen, we don't do anything like that. In fact, I know churches that they call all their members and ask, okay, how much money did you make this year? This is how much you're supposed to give. We don't do anything like that. You say, why don't you? It's because I believe that the Spirit of God is real and that He'll put it in your heart and you will want to do something that says, I'm devoted to Jesus. Because there's an automatic working of the Spirit in you where you say, I love you, Lord, and whatever I can do to bless you, that's what I want to do. That's a God thing. We must be sensitive to give as God calls us to. Because there are significant moments in our church where the giving makes a major difference. I'll never forget over 37 years ago, we were in the skating rink and financially we were going through a very difficult time because there was more money going out than what was coming in and We had a guest speaker that came up and spoke, and I remember people gave in a special offering, and that offering helped us to get by for another week or two, and I thought, oh God, are we ever going to make it? And yet consistently we began to learn how to give then. That's why we never have a problem receiving more than one offering on a Sunday, because we learned how to give back then. We had to. If we didn't, we would never be here today. It was a time of great stretching and faith, and our church was not the size it is today, and our giving was not like it is today, but we were learning how to give. I believe God's yearning for that to happen in us because there are significant things He's doing. Listen to me, friend. Listen. This is very, very important. We've only just begun. You say, what are you talking about? You've been here 40 years. No, 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 no. I know I've been here for 40 years, and I may be here for a few more, but... We're only just beginning as a church. If the Lord tarries, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that are going to come to the Lord through this ministry, and you will be a part of it. And so in these times of significant giving, don't just count it out and say, well, the church doesn't need any money. You have no idea what next project we're into that God's called us to do. As I talk to you today, By mid-October, before the month of October ends, we will be owning a building in Tampa, Florida, and we'll be establishing Vietnamese ministries. It's very possible that in the next few months, we'll have over six Vietnamese churches that will be birthed. I signed leases this week. For our our Marshallese congregations, one in Idabel, one in Everett. Come on, people, all over the place. Things are happening that you don't know about. I know about them, but you don't. But I do know that God knows about it. And he puts it in your heart and says, hey! Did I wake you up back there in the back? This is a significant moment. That brings me to the next thing. We desire to bless everyone, but we can't meet everybody's needs. Only God can. Therefore, here's what we've got to do, guys. Listen to me. Put God first in our lives and obey Him. And uh, have the calm assurance that He brings that we will minister in His power to those He's called us to minister to. I know I can't meet everybody's needs, but I do know God can. And if I can get them connected to God, and if I'm hearing God's voice, He will use me to meet people's needs as He brings me to them. But I've come to this conclusion. We can't please everybody. Even our greatest gifts of sacrifice will bother some people. So our purpose should be to please Jesus and not be intimidated about what others think. Somebody say amen. It's fascinating to me that the person is not named here. But it reminds me that our giving should be for his glory and not for our own. Now, I have no problem with people knowing what I give. I share it with you. I don't share it for any boast because I know where it all comes from. It comes from the Lord. He provides it supernaturally. I have little to do with it other than my willingness to give it. And I'm sure that that's the way it always is in God. If you have a willing heart, he'll put it in your pocket so you can give it. But be sure when he does, you give it. Otherwise, you're being disloyal to what he's put in your heart. The only reason I share with people what I give is because I want you to beat me in giving. Well, that went over real big. I said, I want you to beat me in giving. I've been beaten twice, you know, three times in all these years. I've been beaten three times. One was last year. My wife and I gave about 150,000, and they gave 170,000. I will to beat them this year. By faith. <laughs> you say you're crazy. I'm absolutely insane. It's all God's anyways. Come on, guys. Lighten up. I'm not here to impress people. I'm here for one purpose. I'm here for his glory and not my own. That brings me then to the final thing. Think about it just for a moment. Let's review. There are a number of things God's speaking to us about, and it's very, very, very important. Yes, our problem is we don't see things from the perspective of worthiness. Jesus is worthy of all we have and are, and therefore we must not become overly conscious of the value of what we are giving, but rather the value of who we are giving to and what we give to. Secondly, from the world's perspective, the widow who gave two mites in the offering gave too little, and the one who gave an extra a massive gift of the nard was too extravagant. But our giving should be like them. We should give out not to please the world, but to please the Lord. And on both occasions, the Lord was pleased. Somebody say amen. And they were acts of devotion to Him. Thirdly, we must be sensitive to give as God calls us to. For we may not be aware of the significance of our gift, just like it was for this woman who gave at a critical moment in Jesus' ministry. And fourthly, although we desire to bless everyone, we can't meet everyone's need. Only God can. And therefore, we put God first in our lives and we obey Him. We will have the calm assurance that we will minister in His power to those He's called us to minister to. And everybody said, Amen. And fifth, we can't please everybody. Even our greatest gifts of sacrifice will bother some people. So our purpose should be to please Jesus and not be intimidated by others, what others think. And Seven, it is fascinating, or six, it's fascinating to me that this person is not named. Therefore, reminding us that our giving should be for his glory and not for our own. And finally, the last thing is that The fact that Judas' act of treachery is mentioned after the woman gives her extravagant gift is a warning. Everybody say, it's a warning. Warning. Everybody say, it's a warning." warning. To all of us that if we don't see the worthiness of Jesus, we will end up seeing only the worth of things from the world's perspective and end up betraying Jesus just as Judas did. My prayer is that none of you will be that way. You will all see the worthiness of Jesus and do all that you can as an act of devotion and love to Jesus. That brings me to the conclusion of this message today. We get a moment to be like this woman. We get a moment in this crucial moment in time to give during the Feast of Tabernacles a special gift. On Friday, one of the members of our church came and gave a gift for the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a gift of $20,000. I was very encouraged by that gift, and I was challenged by the gift, and I said, oh God, help me to do even more. I'm not here to tell you what you should give. That's not my job. My job is to encourage you to be like this woman who out of her devotion gave, I don't know where you are financially, but I do know one thing, that it really isn't an issue of how much money you have. It's really an issue of a heart devoted to the Lord and saying, God, use me to do whatever it is you'd have me do. I hope the word encouraged you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the King Central Podcast. God bless you. Walk in power and walk in the fullness of that which God has given you.